Welcome to Hive Mind, the weekly podcast from the Beehive about the latest and greatest in pop culture. I am Meg Walter. I'm here with Eli McCann. Eli, hello. What up, 801? Tell me what you've been watching. 801, because that's our area code, mm. in case people didn't know. Mm-hmm. Or are you a 435-er? 435, isn't that just like Park City? Logan. What's Who's 385? Is that a thing? That's like a newer one. Is that maybe St. George? Anyway, I don't know. What have I been watching? I've been watching. I finally restart or finally gave the queen's gambit a run through and because i tried the first episode couldn't make it through and you told me to keep going i skipped the first episode which i think was a good choice because i don't feel like i missed anything yeah um the queen's gambit was barely interesting enough for me to keep going i found it kind of cheesy okay a little cheesy mostly whenever she would talk about when she recap her chess games, it was a little too much for me because she'd like be teary eyed and she'd be like, I moved the queen to left square black and then diagonal across. And that's when I saw his knight. And she talks about it like it's a real war that happened. And I'm like, mm, calm down. It's a board game. I don't remember any of that. Every I will, episode. I, will, I, I do think that every Netflix series, the crown included, mm-hmm. even the really good ones. Each season is two episodes too long. Hmm. I think you're probably right. Well, not the Great British Baking Show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that. Yeah. Obviously. But fictional series. Fictional about series. two episodes too long. Uh, so anyway, it, there were some redeemable aspects of it. It's obviously a high budgeted show. There's some of the performances that I really liked in it. I went on a date with a guy in it. Oh, tell me about that. Um, it was really boring. Well, I hope he doesn't listen. <laughs> it was years ago. I'm sure that he's listening to Hive Mind religiously. Uh, so that was kind of trippy to see. But anyway, it's fine. Um, okay. Let's talk about, have you watched the Great British ba- Baking Show Dairy Girls Christmas special yet? No, because I'm starting w- with like what's available and I'm going chronologically. Okay. So, the, I mean, there's no spoilers. Like the, the Christmas specials of the Great British Baking Show are no stakes like one hour kind of like yeah. lighthearted competition. It's very jokey. So they have the cast of Dairy Girls on and it is honestly like one of the best things I've ever seen on TV. I was smiling so hard the entire time that I thought I was going to have to get surgery after to fix it. And they're just so lovely. It's all of the the main cast girls and the guy, the boy mm-hmm. and then the woman who plays the nun in the show. Mm-hmm. And by the way, did you know in real life, they're all like the same age? They're all like 30. Oh, really? The nun and the kids, <laughs> like funny. they're all like 30. <laughs> and I was like, what? Because like in the show, the you know, the kids are all supposed to be high school, like yeah. 16. And the, I think the nun is supposed to be like in her 30s. But like seeing them on the Great British Baking Show, Skylar and I were like, they all look kind of the same age as the nun. So then we started looking up their ages and it's all like 28 to 32, like all sure. of them. Sure. But anyway, they're just like such lovely people. You can tell that that cast of Dairy Girls, they're like actual legitimate friends in real life. Yeah. They're like having so much fun together. Um, I 100% recommend it. And then it has made me go back and restart Dairy Girls for the third time. Okay. Um, I, it's a show I don't think I could ever get sick of. And I'm getting much better at understanding Irish accents. Okay. I was just going to ask, on the Great British Baking Show holiday special featuring the Dairy Girls, can you understand them? Way, way easier than you can on Dairy Girls okay. because they're not because Dairy Girls, a lot of it is like fast paced kind of dialogue yeah. back and forth. And on this, it's just more casual people in a kitchen like, oh, crap, 
I just spilled flour everywhere. You know, it's like easier to kind of follow that <laughs> yeah. along. Plus, there's a lot more British accents in it because you still have, you know, the hosts and, and whatever else. Uh, also weird, Prue is still she's in this one because apparently they filmed it like a year ago. Or no, wait, what's the old judge's oh, name? OK, yeah, I know who you're talking about. What is her name? The old judge. Uh, whatever. Or not judge. The old host. I forget. Anyway, it, it's great. Go watch it. Um, and then on Netflix, I discovered a series, and I think it's just called Conspiracy Theories or like mm. Conspiracy Something. It's so stupid, but it's like 12 episodes, and every episode they d- take a deep dive into a different famous conspiracy theory and like talk about whether it's real. And every episode ends with like one historian just being like, all of this is bullcrap. <laughs> They like interview people for like an hour that are like, yeah, and Hitler is still alive and he lives in Canada now. And like, oh, here's all the evidence. And at the end, it'll be like somebody from Harvard. Like, yeah, none of that's it's all crap. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of interesting. They have like an episode on the moon landing. I, they don't have an episode on what you wanted to hear about, which is Denver Airport. The Denver... I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> that one's real and they can't find a historian to debunk it. <laughs> Well, maybe that's true. But yeah, so there's there's one on Hitler didn't really kill himself. There's, you know, moon landing. There's JFK assassination. Are there actual people who think Hitler, who was like, what, 50 in 1945 is still alive? No, I, I'm being facetious about that. But they there are a lot of people who think he did not kill himself. Mm. That, and then that he was taken or like went to, I think, Argentina for yeah, a while. A lot of Nazis in and, Argentina. Yeah. And then apparently there's all this evidence that the Nazis were trying to set up some huge like underground base in Antarctica or like we're exploring that possibility. So there are a lot of people who believe that Hitler went and lived underground in Antarctica for a while. Anyway, wow. You heard it here first. Okay, okay. So that's why I've been watching. What about you? Um, We watched Mank which was the buzzy release on Netflix that is an Oscar contender and a lot of people really love it and critics are tripping over themselves to praise it. It's called what? Mank. It's about Herman Mankiewicz who wrote, he was the screenwriter for Citizen Kane. Okay. I did not care for this movie. Mm. Um, Writers really just think that their profession is so noble. Oh, it's every time. A screenwriter should not be the main character of a movie mm-hmm. that's about the making of Citizen Kane. Okay. The best movie ever made. Mm-hmm. Show me a movie about the making of Citizen Kane. Show me a movie about William Randall Hearst on whom Citizen Kane is based. Show me a movie about Marion Davies, Citizen Kane, or sorry, William Randall Hearst's girlfriend. Anyone else in this movie. Orson Welles, uh-huh. any other character more interesting than Mank, who uh-huh. sits in bed and writes the entire movie. That's the movie. Oh, no. I did not like it. I was very bored by it. It's mm. very pretentious. It's clearly David Fincher just wants to sing his own praises. Oh, it's David Fincher. Yes, who I usually really like. Yeah, okay. So I'm frustrated by Mank. I'm frustrated by the praise of Mank. It might sweep the Oscars because what else has come out this year? I don't know. I was, you know, I kept thinking it's so crazy that we're even going to have the Oscars if we're going to be even having having the Oscars. And I was like saying this to Skylar and he's like, they still had the Oscars during World War II and they were like making Oscar statues out of like mud because, you know, rations and whatever else. He's like, so they're definitely not going to skip it, yeah. but it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess. They're doing it in April. What? Yeah. I think they're... They- 
I I might not be understanding this correctly, but I think that they're delaying maybe the Oscar eligibility window. Uh, yeah, and they said they're going to do an in-person teleclass, and I'm like, mm, mm. you're putting a lot of faith in that vaccine, like really showing up for us right when we need it to. So I mean, fingers crossed that they're right. But... I mean, that would be incredible. Um, we need the Oscars desperately, <laughs> so we have something to talk about. But yeah, a writer reached out earlier this week and he's like hey i'm thinking of doing a top 10 best movies of the year what you guys interested like yeah really interested to see what you put on that list is it trolls world tour because like it's that palm springs and main i think palm springs is the only good movie i've seen this year at all yeah yeah i agree with that i can't i can't even think of anything right before quarantine i went and saw that uh what's that emma i went and saw emma i didn't even really like that one it was fine it was just fine. It was fine. Uh, but, you know, we were looking at the January and February releases, which yeah. are like when studios dump their crap. And mm-hmm. yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I I think that in the next month, we'll get a lot more Netflix releases. And well, you and I and Nick will spend early winter mm-hmm. looking at those and coming up with our Oscar list. But it's going to be a very interesting award season. Yeah. Anyway, didn't like Mink. Um, we finished The Undoing. Mm. And it, the finale was just so dumb. I really liked Hugh Grant in The Undoing. Mm-hmm. The whole series was just dumb and kind of a waste of time yeah. and way longer than it needed to be. And as I was watching it, I just found myself wishing that I was watching Search Party, which is also about oh. a murder in New York City, mm-hmm. but is so much better and mm-hmm. is so funny and stars my favorite people. And so... I started Search Party again, and I'm watching it with Steven on the second go-around. And Steven is a um, skeptic, and he's loving it. So, oh, okay, cool. Uh, I really recommend Search Party. I tried The Undoing, and I made it three-quarters of the way through the first episode and was like, this isn't for Eli. I mean, it's for, if you want to look at pretty New York apartments, that's your show. If you're looking for like a real story that's worth investing your time into, it's a pass. I love the best thing that's come out of the undoing is everybody making fun of Nicole Kidman's understanding of what an American accent is. Boy, does it slip in and out. It's so funny. And did you see SNL did uh, it's cold open on Saturday? They did the Michigan um, hearings, you know, that have been people have been sharing videos of um, Rudy Giuliani sitting at a table with, you know, these crazy witnesses and whatever else. And one of the witnesses that they bring on in the cold open is Nicole Kidman's character from The Undoing. That's her name. (laughs) And so she comes and sits down and she does the funny. I I can't remember. It's it's that actress on um, SNL who has kind of like the mousy mouth. I never remember her name, but she's really funny. And she comes and sits down and does the perfect impression of Nicole Kidman trying to do an American accent. <laughs> you should look it up if you have it. I would try. I would try to mimic it, but there's no way I could do it. So, it's also I don't know if we talked about this last week, but I just uh, that made me respect Nicole Kidman a lot less because all she does is whisper in a frustrated tone. That's her acting range mm-hmm. is like speaking softly but harshly and anytime anyone does anytime she does that everyone's like oh, nicole kidman she's incredible it's like guys no she's just pretty and you're getting she's tricked. just tall yeah she's tall and pretty and, and you're getting very tricked yeah. like anyway she's in very very expensive clothes but i also like i got two episodes in and i was like this isn't very good but i've got to see it through you know uh-huh. so i spent too long on it 
And then we watched Elf, our final holiday yeah. movie hive mind episode, because how, I mean, it's Elf. Yeah, it's Elf. We had to. This is one of the few. Okay, I know a lot of people are very sick of Elf. Because yeah. I think there was about a 10-year period right when it came. Because what is this, 06, 07? I didn't look at the year. Yeah, it was 03. Is it that old? Yeah, you, and okay. you want to know why I remember that? Hmm. Because it, Facebook became like a thing in 2004. And in Facebook, before it was like um, the end of democracy, had like groups you could join that hmm. were very dumb. And one of them was like... I'm sorry for stuffing three cookies in the VCR and what, mm-hmm. you know, like it was yeah. a quote and I was like, that's hilarious. Elf <laughs> is the funniest movie. Join group. The internet is great. The internet is, <laughs> this will never be a problem. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, what I was going to say is there was like a 10 year period, I think after Elf came out that everybody watched it so many times and like TBS or one of the networks would do like. 48 hours of elf where they would just play over and over again leading up to christmas and it was just sort of like there was some there was finally after a lot of years when there really wasn't much there was finally a christmas movie that was actually well made it was yeah. funny it was well written you know it was well budgeted i think the pri- like the the last good one prior to this was probably like home alone like, yeah. I don't think I think there was like a 10 year period where there was there weren't really any good Christmas movies. Right. And Elf really hit and um, scratched the itch for people in our age group, like early 20s into 30s, I think. And so everybody watched it so much that then I feel like starting around 2013, 14, it became a thing to start to hate Elf because it was like watched so many times. Right. And I feel like for a few years, I fell into this like idea that like, oh, Elf, I never want to see that movie again. Rewatching it this time, I was like, no, I still like this. Like, I'm still really enjoying being in this movie. Yeah. I think that's the key to this movie is you enjoy being in it. The story... I don't care. Stupid. It's a very dumb, flimsy story. One of my favorite movies still to this day is Napoleon Dynamite mm. because they recognize that you don't actually need conflict in a film to mm. make a good film. And I wish that more comedies uh, subscribe to that theory that you can just kind of hang out with characters yep. as long as they're being funny for mm-hmm. 90 minutes and we'll be happy. The fact that they had to like throw in some conflict in this story with Santa and a sleigh, like I kind of stopped paying attention. Yeah, and, and you can actually see characters grow and progress into something fun without them having to experience actual conflict. And Napoleon Dynamite, again, is actually a good example of that. Yeah. Like, in the end, all the characters are left better off, but you weren't stressed getting to that no. point. No, there's never a moment where you're like, is Napoleon going to pull through? And you're like, no. Is Pedro going to win the election? Who cares? Who like, cares? it doesn't matter. But nobody it, nobody cares. But in the end, Napoleon has a friend, and he's doing the tetherball with Deb, and the yeah. camera's zooming out, and I'm just like... Good for you, Napoleon and Deb. That was such a nice hour and a half. (laughs) Yeah, it was lovely. So I think Elf is a nice hour. The last 30 minutes, Yep. fine, whatever. I don't need it. No, I don't need it. But that first hour is just so legitimately funny. Mm -hmm. And it was Will Ferrell's first movie off of SNL, Mm. which is wild to think about because we were, you know, usually people leave SNL. It's like, all right, good luck doing, you know. Whatever it is you do. The best friend in a movie. Yeah. You know, sad your career's over. But he did this. And something about his beady eyes. He's so tall. The physical comedy, his delivery is without guile. It is a truly hilarious performance. 
you just got me thinking about who else has escaped SNL well. I mean, you've got like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, but they were, well, Tina Fey was a writer more. Sorry, this is a tangent, but I just. No, no I, I it, it's worth it. Chevy Chase. I mean, Bill Murray, obviously. Bill Murray. Those are old school. Old school. Like more recently. Yeah, because Kristen. Jason Sudeikis. Kristen Wiig has had kind of an up and down career since yeah. SNL. I mean, she did have an Oscar nominated film. Um, bridesmaids we haven't seen her for a while Mm -hmm. but maybe that's by choice maybe amy poehler has been pretty successful seth meyer has his own show but he was more of a writer wasn't he yeah so just in terms of like just the straight up actors on the show will ferrell obviously it's i mean it's rare i think it's the exception not the rule interesting the interesting too i always forget that zoe deschanel's in this because yeah. this is a version of Zoe Deschanel that I don't think crosses over to any other project she's ever done. It doesn't even look like her to me. She's blonde. She's got like this personality that is not the Zoe Deschanel personality that you usually see. She's a little bit more dark and kind of sarcastic. You know, she's in another movie prior to this, and I can't remember the name of it, and it'll take me too long to look up on IMDb. But it's also a pretty... Um, Let's say sardonic Zoe de Chanel. Okay. Um, more so than this because it's a dark comedy, and I wish I could remember the name. But yeah, it's interesting that she went from that to light, fluffy, cotton candy, adorable, and that's become her career since. It's it, and watching this made me realize that I actually think I like sardonic Zoe de Chanel better than quirky Zoe de Chanel. Yeah. It's kind of fun to watch her in this. It is. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the same thing. I think we just kind of soured on quirky mm-hmm. Zoe Deschanel because yeah. there was so much of it. Yeah. And <laughs> she it was kind of it became a one trick pony thing and she does it well. But it's refreshing to see that side of her. And yeah. She's great in this. Yeah. And I totally I, I don't care about their relationship, but I and I don't think they have romantic chemistry at all. All, but I do think that they have ke- some kind of chemistry together. I think that they're good on screen together. I don't want them to end up together. It's weird to me that uh, Will Ferrell is basically playing a toddler that yeah. grew into a man's body and he's trying to date a woman. And I can't imagine why she would be interested in that. But they're fun. Like they're fun on screen yeah. interacting with one another. It's fun seeing him take her to that coffee shop blindfolded and be like, taste this. And she's like, it tastes like a crappy cup of coffee. And he's like, no, it's the world's best coffee because there's a sign that says so. Like those interactions are very cute to see like his um, lighthearted naivety, uh, basically child in a grown man's body butting up against this like sardonic sort of jaded by the world woman who's living in New York City and just trying to make a paycheck. And I I think that that dynamic plays out really well. And you almost like I agree. They don't have romantic chemistry. It's a movie for children. You know, and Mm -hmm. he like you said, he's essentially a child. But I can understand why she'd be interested in him when everything in her life seems so hard and dreary. That I mean, that's the explanation the movie's giving for sure. Yeah. That he is fun. Yeah. And sweet and magical i just can't buy it because he's also a child yeah yeah. <laughs> like, yeah and I, I i think that no one in that movie buys it and no one who wrote the script yeah. buys it which actually reminds me the script original script apparently was a lot darker okay. and was 
PG-13 slash R and John Favreau read it and was like, I want to do this movie, but we need it to be lighter. More family friendly. Yeah. And so they had a number of script doctors go through it, including Adam McKay and Will Ferrell, who have had, they're not together anymore, but they had their um, kind of production company for a while and they both punched it up and lightened it and Elf is what we ended up with. I'll say there are a, a few moments that lean into darkness a little bit that I really, really like. And I'm glad that there are not, there's not more of it. For example, I love the scene when Santa sits down with Will Ferrell after he realizes Will Ferrell is going to like go to New York looking for his dad. And he's like, let me tell you some facts of life. And he has sort of this harsh conversation with them about like the gritty world. I think that is so lovely. I'm glad that there's not a ton of that in the film, but I think every once in a while that pops up a little bit and they're like, okay, elf, like just so you know, like that homeless man over there peeing, you know, or whatever. Like they're just the way they kind of talk to him to just be like, okay, but it's not all North pole everywhere you go. So like you need to brace yourself for this is really fun. Um, I mean, obviously, like, this is a film that goes to extremes in order for laughs. So, like, when he's leaving and saying goodbye to Mr. Narwhal, which is, like, so... I I don't know why, but that is so funny to me. Every time it will never not be funny to me. Right after he's had the conversation with Santa about, like, what New York City is like. It's just, like, so funny to see those contrasts. And I think that they do that really well throughout the film. Uh... When I was in a film class, there was a hot minute in college when I thought I wanted to be a film major uh, before I realized I don't want to be a teacher or a filmmaker. And there was really no role for me if I was a film major. Yeah. Uh, but I took this phenomenal intro to film class at BYU uh, that was both a large lecture and then labs every week. And one week in the large lecture, the uh, instructor Dean Duncan. If you're a BYU student, you ever have the opportunity to take a class from Dean Duncan, do it without hesitation. Hmm. He showed a clip of the burp from Elf, uh-huh. and talked about how a normal burp in a movie would just be tired and a dumb joke. The fact that this burp goes on for 12 seconds circles through all these different realms of comedy, where it's kind of potty humor to dumb and then it goes on so long it becomes absurd and then you're back to thinking it's hysterical (laughs) and how effective it is in this movie and I think about it all the time that he finishes and he says did you hear that? After a 12-minute burp uh-huh. is so funny. Yeah. It's so funny. Did did Will Ferrell have any part in writing of the film? Cause yeah. It, it, so he and okay. Adam McKay. They wrote it together. because They, it they does, helped doctor it, yeah. Okay, it does feel very like that off-the-wall Will Ferrell kind of humor. In Tina Fey's book, Bossy Pants, she talks about what made Will Ferrell so outstanding on SNL. And I know you're you're kind of back and forth on Will. I'm I'm more forth on on Will Ferrell lately. So, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast, so excuse me if this is a repeat, but she said what made him so good was his willingness to commit to whatever it was that was in front of him. Mm. Be it the stupidest sketch that had ever been on the show, Will Ferrell was in and he was in hard and he was going to be tall with his weird curly hair and his beady eyes and sometimes in shirts that didn't quite fit him right, just (laughs) making it work. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what he does in Elf. I don't know that there's another actor that could have pulled this off. Mm. 
Uh, Jim Carrey is who the uh, original screenwriter wrote it for. He would have played it bigger, I think. He would have played it bigger and goofier and maybe darker, and I don't think it would have been as good a movie. Yeah, I agree with that. I like Jim Carrey quite a lot, although most of his stuff from the 90s is unwatchable for me. Yeah. Um, But I do think he's really talented, and I cannot imagine that this would have been a better film with him over Will Ferrell. No, I don't think so. I think this whole cast is great. Amy Sedaris is great. I I forgot that she was in it. Yeah. Until she popped in. I was like, oh, yeah, like you're in this. It's great. And she is really funny in it. Yeah. Mary Steenburgen. Who put her in everything. I love, like, she just, every time I see her in anything, I just think, like, ah, we should hang out. Like, I want to yeah. be friends with her. And James Caan, who, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, James Caan from yeah. The Godfather? Sure. <laughs> is here. Just playing, just playing, yeah, just playing the elf guy. And yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, just really great. Um, apparently, there's a couple pieces of trivia that I really love about this. One is that they had him walk through the Lincoln Tunnel. In his full elf costume. Okay. And there were a number of car accidents that day because people were looking over and seeing Will Ferrell walking through the Lincoln Tunnel and oh my gosh. got distracted. I mean, no one got hurt, but there were a number of incidents. Wow. The other thing is the part when he gets to New York and he's just running through the city, essentially uh, going through the turnstile mm-hmm. and taking all the flyers from the guys. And he, he, it was just him and John Favreau and a camera guy. They took cabs around the city. They'd get out. They'd talk to people on the street and say, hey, can we pay you to be an extra in this scene? And then they just have Will Ferrell go nuts. And they're getting like actual reactions from the people on the street. That's cool. And that's I think that's why it works so well. Mm-hmm. Because they look like actual New Yorkers reacting to the guy going bananas in front of him. I like that. And I think that's the funniest part of the movie, except for maybe the mailroom. The mail. <laughs> the mailroom is so funny. It is so funny to me. Um, I had forgotten about how it turns into a party down there. <laughs> but, like, of course those guys would be into Will Ferrell in an elf costume. Yeah. Like, it's a good time. He's, he's great. I loved sending him down there and just, like, expecting that that would be fine. And then it turns into this raucous party. (laughs) That is a great scene. It's really funny. The guy who says he's 26, so funny. That line kills me every time. (laughs) Um, The whiskey. Oh, the other thing is, apparently there's that scene where he makes breakfast for Mary Steenburgen. And it's spaghetti. Mm Mm-hmm. With Pop-Tarts and candy. Uh-huh. They had to do that take twice. They had to do that scene twice because Will Ferrell threw up the first time. <gasps> what? Because he was actually eating it. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? The, the, the amount of sugar that he consumes as a, as a grown man in this does stress me out. Yeah. And he said he had a headache, like, the entire time they were filming from the food he had to eat. I don't want to get nitpicky, by the way, but I was, I'm always a little confused about how Will Ferrell... You know, his origin story is that he ends up in Santa's bag and gets taken back to the North Pole. He's just like a grown person, a regular man. And then he's brought up believing that he's an elf who just happened to be tall. And the elves all have like these magical powers and whatever else. And Will Ferrell kind of has magical powers. And it it's like... I feel like they needed to pick one way or the other. What magical powers? Well, like when they have the snowball fight. 
and he's helping the teenage boy with the snowball oh, fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like throwing the snowballs at like Superman speed. And it's like, but how can he do that? I thought that he wasn't an actual elf. I think the implication is just that he's strong. Okay. I, I actually like that part because you see how much of a failure he is in the elf world mm-hmm. and how he's always felt like an outsider up there. Yeah. And then he comes to the human world and it turns out he's actually good at some of the things that humans do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that Throwing snowballs being one of them, which makes sense because he's like a winter creature, you know? Yeah. Um, my kids got the biggest kick out of this movie. Really? So it's yeah. so it worked for their ages. It totally worked for especially the eight year old. Okay, so this is interesting because when you just a minute ago when you described this as like a film for children, yeah. I don't think I've ever thought of it as a film for children. I would still call it a film for like a lot of the gags they just really thought were funny. Him putting the star on the tree and falling over mm. the snowball scene. You know, the whole end mm-hmm. is pretty child centric. Um, and I guess this is a Santa is real movie. Yeah. And I actually think this de- movie does more to address Santa is real than a lot of others. Like, I remember seeing the Santa Claus mm-hmm. and thinking like, oh, my gosh, Santa's not real. Like, based on that movie, Santa isn't real. But watching <laughs> this, they're like, there's this rumor going around that the parents leave the presents out for the kids. Uh-huh. How would parents even do that? Like, they actually are, like, talking to children and being like, can you believe this rumor? Interesting. So, like, as a parent, I'm like, I, I feel comfortable showing my kids who I still want to believe in Santa, this mm-hmm. movie. Okay. You still want to lie to them. Is yeah. 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 I lie uh, to my children every damn day. Are you kidding me? Not a day goes by where I'm not lying to my children. I lie to your children and I'm not even raising the them. Parenting is lying. Okay. We were, weren't you and I talking about this recently? Like people who get upset about lying to your children. And it's just like, if you're not, I think you said to me, if you're not lying to your children sometimes, then you probably need to fix your parenting. Yeah. Tell me how that's working out. <laughs> Uh, I really, I, I actually was on a podcast earlier, I think it's out today, and we were talking about which movies are the best, and I think I even said, like, I don't think I need Elf anymore, I think Elf is overplayed, and then we decided to do it for this podcast, because it's still, like, one of the Christmas classics, and I'm, I take that back, like, Mm -hmm. Elf is great, I'm gonna watch it next year. Sure, and this is, this is a movie that, now that I've seen so many times, it's not really gonna be one that I sit down and pay attention to in the future, but it is one that I will put on while we're putting up the Christmas tree oh, yeah. or, you know, baking or something. It's because it is it's starting to become a little bit nostalgic for me. It's been out long enough that I feel some nostalgia around it. Yeah. And it's just a nice, happy thing to be in. It really is. Um, we are going to take a couple of weeks off for the holidays. We'll be back in January. We hope everyone has a Merry Christmas or Happy Hanukkah or whatever just a lovely holiday break whatever it is that you're deciding to celebrate uh please leave us a good rating and review remember to subscribe to the hive mind newsletter hivemind.substack.com become a member of the beehive on the membership page of the beehive.com and we'll be back in a couple of weeks thanks Bye.